The No Sleep Podcast presents the exclusive 10-part audio adaptation of Alexander Gordon Smith's epic tale, This Book Will Kill You. This Book Will Kill You is the story of Tommy Bright, a young woman who dreamt about a witch, a room, and a table full of meat. This is her story. This is about what happens when the witch comes back to finish what she started. But be warned, because this book just might kill you. concrete and glass, and it looks like any other building in the city, except this one's as hard to look at as the sun. It carves shapes into my retinas, and in those shapes I see a vast, black, desiccated tree, windows like rot holes, all of them blinking. I have to look away for a moment, but it's still there like a dead light, superimposed on everything else. I close my eyes. Remembering the dream. Oh god, the dream. I can still feel her pull now. The strength of her as she lifted me up and carried me through the streets. Over houses, down alleyways, to the window. To these windows. I can see them right now when I open my eyes again. And once more, it's just a tower. Just a building. I don't understand how this thing can be here. It's wedged between two other buildings that were once joined together. It's as if the world has added space for it, torn a hole in itself to make room for the witch and her tower. And again, I wonder at the power needed to break the universe this way, at how easily she will break me when I knock on her door. So, I won't knock. I get to my feet like an old woman. My back won't straighten out. There's something wrong with my spine, as if one of the dead things left their bony hand wrapped around it. I clutch the knife. The blood has half-dried now, and its stickiness is welcome. It makes me feel less like I'm going to drop it. Taking as deep a breath as I can, I limp toward the only door I can see. A big, red door, right in the middle of the building. It's as gaping as a dead man's mouth. And as I get closer, I see that it is lined with big, yellow teeth. Horses' teeth. They've been hammered into the wooden frame like nails. Clumps of dark hair hang from the lintel, dirty beads woven into them. The tower dwarfs me. It's so tall it seems to lean out, ready to stamp down and finish me. It's too much, and I hesitate outside the door, digging into my pocket takes me a while to find the folded mess that is pinch, and even longer to read through it again. There's not much here, except right at the end. I ran, wrenching open the door and heading out into the apartment building. I didn't know where I was going, I just had to get away. Every door was closed, but I could hear voices from behind all of them, maybe the same voice, chanting, laughing, crying. I ran, 
stumbling up the stairwell, third floor, fourth floor, those voices chasing me, forcing me higher, higher, until I burst out into a corridor on the seventh floor and saw the door. And I knew that I was supposed to be here. I don't know how, but I knew that she was waiting for me. I knew she'd keep me safe. The door was open, but all I could see was the floor and, and part that kitchen with the tape heard me. I could sense... Break! Break! The seventh floor. It's all I need to know. The lobby's deserted, populated by rats and roaches, and the head of a goat that sits there, surrounded by candles. Its horns curl up like arms. There's a door to the right, marked as a restroom, a second leading to the stairwell, and a third to my left that opens onto a corridor as derelict as this one. I'd have assumed the building was empty if it wasn't for the noises coming from my left. I can hear somebody crying. I can hear somebody singing, too. A keening song that wants to break my heart. There's another sound, louder and closer than the rest. It's a soft, wet gulping that makes me think of a dog eating a hunk of meat. It's coming from the first apartment door but it suddenly stops. There's a sniffing sound, a pad of feet, a jingling of bells. It's coming. I turn my back on it, my body boiling with quiet terror as I fumble at the stairwell door. It's stuck, and I throw myself at it, the sound of bells louder now, a wet spill of words flowing from the door behind me. Please, please, please. Please, please, please. I scream. I give up on it, running for the next door, the restroom. It's open and I push through, closing it behind me, staring through the gap as a head pushes its way out of the door across the lobby. A shock of short, greasy hair, a face with feathers in its eyes. It sees me. I know it does because it's suddenly galloping this way on all fours. It's cry the whistling call of a bird. I stumble over the wreckage of the restroom, finding the only cubicle that still has a door, right at the end. I shut myself in just as I hear the thing enter behind me, its bird song filling the room. I slide the bolt across, stumbling back until I fall onto the toilet seat. The creature pads its way down the room, bells clinking, those awful music box calls creeping under the door, pushing into my head on needled feet. I'm crying again. I don't know how to stop. Wake, 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 wake. And after a moment, it does. I wait until I can't hear the sound of it anymore. Then I creep from the cubicle out into the lobby. The stairwell door is open, and I stumble up the steps, using the banister like a rope, to see that all the doors are open. Noise floods out of them torrent of cries and whoops and jeers and whispers and songs and barks and great belly-busting laughter dropping towards me, circling me like flies. I look, because I can't not look. On the second floor, a child in a white dress hangs upside down in the middle of the corridor, a veil covering her face and no ropes to hold her. On the next floor, a naked man with a pig's head sits against a closed door, playing with a doll. 
skylarks flapping around him as lazily as butterflies. On the next, a bone-thin girl is pinned to the floor by a fat lump of darkness, howling with delirious laughter as its wooden spoon fingers dig into her ribs. Pitch. 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 The girl and the monster have the same face. A face I know from a photograph on the internet. The face of a missing woman called Lydia Cross. I'm heading up to the fourth floor when I hear the crunch of a door opening above me. A clatter of feet on stairs. I feel something barrel past me and even though nothing's there, I can smell mom's bath oils. I can hear her ragged breaths as she runs downstairs, as she runs into the kitchen. I push my face into my hand and scream into it, tripping on the steps, the knife clattering away. I pick it up again, but I keep my face behind my hand for the next flight of stairs, and the next, and the next, till I look up and see a faded seven on the wall. This door is closed, and I wonder if it will be locked. Pray that it will be locked. But when I turn the handle, it creaks open to reveal another corridor, identical to the last six. Electric lights flicker, reflected in the damp floor, in the peeling walls. She knows I'm here. I don't know how I know it, but I do. I can feel it. I lean against the doorframe, digging into my pocket and pulling out the only story that's left. Tubby. My hands are shaking so much I can barely read it, but I do. And then I read it again, but there's nothing there, nothing I can use. And it hits me, what Cyrus said, that there were more stories that came from here, from this impossible address. There might be hundreds of them, and they all might have told me something. Each one might have been a weapon I could use against her. Why didn't I find them first? What am I even doing? There's a chirruping call on the stairs, right above me. The sound of bells tinkling and soft, padded feet. I'm moving before I even tell myself to, staggering down the corridor, past the first open door. There's an apartment inside, and from the darkness I hear the squeak of flesh, the splash of water. I push my hand to my ear to keep the sound out, walking past the next door, which is Donnie's store. It's got his name written on it in Sharpie. Written on it by me in great big bubble letters when I was 13. I can hear him in there, shouting at his Xbox. When I turn the handle and push open the door and call his name, there's just another windowless room. This one swarming with flies. A bed sits in the middle of it. A pink bed covered in stickers. And a young girl lies inside it, kicking out against a nightmare. I keep walking, the whole building seeming to move, to sway from side to side and back and forth like a boat in a storm. I'm rolled from wall to wall, skittering forward, then stumbling back, and all the time the corridor is stretching, plaything that gets longer and longer and narrower and narrower, and the next door won't come to me, it's too small, too far away. The air like glue, holding me back, but I push, push, holding the knife out in front of me as though it will cut a path. And it does, because there's a sudden release, like something's been torn, and the door is right there. It's normal. There's a popping sound in my ear, a mosquito whine. I shake it away, 
staring at the door, feeling her on the other side of it. Her grin so bright that it's burning through the brick, through the plaster, shaping itself in ash and smoke right there in front of me. I dig the point of the knife into it, chunks of burned wall peeling loose, embers fluttering out of the grin burn and floating in the air. I dig the knife in and find teeth in the hole, big and yellow. They clatter to the floor and I kick them away, watching them bounce back toward the stairwell, toward the feathered thing that whispers and cheeps down the corridor after me. I twist the handle. I open the door. I was six years old when I first saw the witch. I'm a child again now, pushing open the door to where she lives. I'm the same child who was taken from that liminal space between dream and waking, who was dragged here against her will night after night after night by a raggedy woman with a moon-yellow grin. The room looks different, and it takes me a moment to work out why. I'm entering it through the door, not through the window, so the opening into the kitchen is on my right. I can see the window to my left, and through the dirty glass I can see my bedroom. I can see a girl sitting on my bed with headphones on and her computer on her lap and her face hollowed out and lined with meat. She must sense me because she twists her empty skull and stares back for a moment before returning to her work. I swallow, my mind empty too, everything good scooped out of it and slopped to the floor. I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm scattered and lost and I'm not even sure what I'm doing as I tread the bare boards. As I walk into the middle of that big, empty room, the knife held out in front of me and my head turned to the side to see the kitchen. Filthy, empty, seared into sharp lines by a single, bare, swinging bulb. There's a table there, sliding into view with every step. There's a table there and it's covered in meat, a butcher shop's worth. There's a stove, saucepan bubbling. She's there. She's there. She's there. I can't see her past the wall, but I can hear her. I can hear, I can hear, I can hear her moving toward the door. She can't move quickly. She's far too old for that. But she's coming, her bare feet scuffing the floor the lump of her hand knocking against the wall. She's grinning. I can't see her, but I know she's grinning. I can feel it through the wall, as bright as the bulb. She's grinning because she knows I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> she's right. I might as well be wrapped in duct tape. I cannot move. I cannot breathe. I just stare at that door. Seeing her shadow flood the floor like dirty water, see the eclipse of her head push itself around the sill, twisted and bent, her face buried in clumps of matted hair, but one eye sliding up in its socket, one blistered, boiling eye, and beneath it, one arm, too long and broomstick thin, sliding out to touch me. And I know, I know, that if those crack-boned fingers touch me, I'll never be able to leave this place. So I fight it. I fight it like there was somebody on top of me, pinning me down. I fight it like there was a hand over my mouth and nose and I was out of air. 
I kick against the broken shell of my body. I punch. I open my mouth and scream and scream and scream silently until suddenly my body responds and I'm screaming for real. I'm kicking, I'm hitting, I'm thrusting the knife out, but there's no force grabbing me and pulling me out the window. There's no waking. I'm here and she's still coming, still coming. I stagger back into the window. She's halfway across the room, broken-backed and bent almost in two, moving like a puppet moves, jerking her way toward me. Her feet barely touch the ground, her downward-pointing toes scuffing the bare floor, clacking together like they're made of wood. Her arms are six feet long and sliding from the rags of her shawl, her hands too big. They're like the hands of the statue in the forest, and they're getting bigger. They look like they could pick me up and fold around me and cut me like a songbird, and that's exactly what they do because she touches me. She's picking me up, and I'm Skylark Small, caught in the sweaty filth of her hands as her giant face looms in toward me, her eye a blister of rage, her mouth a nest of horse's teeth opening to reveal a slab of tongue and a throat red raw and hungry, so hungry. No! I thrust the knife into the meat of her hand, and she screams. The noise loud enough to shake the room to dust, to scatter my bones. I feel myself fall and I hit the floor hard, watching as she staggers, her hand clamped to her breast. She's normal. She's just a woman. I find my feet, running at her, and I don't hesitate, thrusting the knife into the dusty sack of her stomach, and pulling, wrenching, sawing up her ribcage, her sternum. I'm screaming at her, but I don't understand what I'm saying. I can't make sense of it. Only when the knife has reached her throat do I pull it free, dropping it to the floor and stumbling away. She doesn't fall. She doesn't even sway. The witch looks down at herself, her hair falling over her face as she pulls the remains of her shawl apart. Beneath is a body that's more dead than alive, a bird nest with a gaping wound from her stomach to her neck. There's no blood. There's just a fine powder that might be sawdust or sand, spilling loose and puddling at her feet. I retreat until I hit the window again, but I can't take my eyes off her. I can only watch as she reaches inside herself and pulls something free, something white and square and folded tight. She throws it to the floor and pulls out another, and another casting them into the room until she pulls out one that she keeps, that she holds out to me with a bone-thin arm. It's paper, I understand. It's a story. She drops this one, too, then shuffles back to the kitchen, to that table full of meat. I watch as she picks a handful up, as she shovels it inside the wound I made, then another, then another, filling herself up again. I don't think I can walk, so I drop to my hands and knees, crawling across the room, seeing story after story discarded there, all computer printouts, all in neat black type on pristine white paper. The one she dropped last lies face down, and I pick it up with shaking hands. I turn it over, and because I don't know what else to do, I start to read. Hey. They took my tongue, tongue, 
because I dared to speak. They took my eyes. I dared to look because they took my hand because I dared to write and they called me witch so which I became it became I claim they took my story. They told my story. They told it. They told it wrong. And they told it wrong. And they told it wrong. And they nearly broke me. Broke me. They broke everything. I have my tongue. I took it back. I have my hand. I took it back. I have my eyes. And I have my tongue. And I have my hand. And I have my story back. I wrote it all again. And nobody else can take it. They took my story. And now my story kills them. Kills them. Kills them. Mm -hmm. I am a disease. I am your disease. You have only to think of me. And I see you. You have only to think of me. And I see you. You. I see you. There is no game. There are no rules. There is only a story. And this story has killed you. I don't understand, I think. And I say, I don't understand. I say it again, and again, and again. And I look over my shoulder to see my faceless self sitting on the bed. And I look into the kitchen to see the witch sewing up her ragdoll belly with thick twine. And I look at the knife and know that there's only one person left I can use it on to end this. To end it once and for all. It's three feet away, but it feels like a million miles. Just being here has drained me of everything. Madness has emptied me. I'm a ragdoll and there's nothing holding me up anymore. Push myself across the floor. The weight of the air above me too much to bear. I can't reach it. 
I just can't. A shadow hanging over me. The witch's face. She rolls me over and she's pushing something inside my mouth. A lozenge of folded paper. Then she's pouring something after it. A liquid that boils against my tongue. That sears its way down my throat. I gag, spitting. But there's a hand over my mouth driving my lips into my teeth and I have no choice but to swallow. The paper jams and I have to work it down because I can't breathe past it. It's too big. I can hear the witch. Her voice is a thousand voices all chanting as one, drowned out by the agony in my mouth, in my throat. I kick, I punch, I fight, and then she pulls her hand away and I'm catapulted toward the ceiling, through it, my hands in front of my face as I accelerate into darkness, into some place that isn't here. I see her, the witch. I see her as a young woman, her trial, her torment, her torture. And finally, the horror of her burning. One boiling, blistering eye raging through the flames. A broomstick-thin arm reaching out, curling into itself. Fat, crackling. Her ashes buried deep beneath an old, black, desiccated oak tree. Her voice is inside me now. Riding on the pain. It's the sound of a hundred screaming voices, unbearably wrong. Even here, I have to clamp my hands to my ears to hold the shattered pieces of my skull in place. I'm crying out for her to stop, but she does not. I see her ashes sprout like seeds. I see the ground grow her back from the dead things and the decay and the defecated dirt, weaving the shape of her until she is whole enough to walk away. I see the way she isn't part of this world anymore, the way she knots herself into the in-between, into the liminal. I see her vomiting stories, sending them into the world like birds. I see the way they spread, like a virus. If you read one, if you so much as hear a whispered mention of them, you are hers. We turned our voices into weapons. This time, her voice is her own. I realize I've closed my eyes, and I peel them open to see her shuffling away, back to the kitchen. I manage to turn, gagging, retching, trying to bring up what she made me drink. But it is lodged inside me. I can feel it there, a sheet of paper unfolding inside me. The witch is at her table, sawing meat, slinging it into a bowl. The saucepan bubbles, spitting fat. I don't understand, I say again, and there's something wrong with my voice. My face feels numb. You do not need to understand. You only have to speak. Speak? I say in my not voice, taking a step toward the kitchen. You only have to tell your story the way I tell mine. And I spit out a laugh, because I know now why I'm here. I came to kill a witch before she rotted my life. But the truth is, she was never my enemy. I see it now, 
my dream. I see her grin. I see her shadow flood the floor like dirty water. See the eclipse of her head push itself around the sill, twisted and bent. Her face buried in clumps of matted hair except one eye sliding up in its socket. One blistered, boiling eye, and beneath it one arm, too long and broomstick thin, sliding out to touch me. Not to touch me. To beckon me. Her fingers twitch, and I stumble into her, feel her broomstick arms crack and curl around me. I press my face into the nest of her hair. She led me to her. The stories were her map. She wants me here. She wants me. She's wanted me since I sat down and shared her story with the world. Why? I croak into her, the word burning up the ruin of my throat, echoing from something that used to be my mouth. Why not? Her voice is made of dust, a voice that has lived through centuries. You have many stories to tell, child, but only one that will make a difference. Only one that will be heard in every home, whispered in quiet corners, spread from person to person to person. Are you not a writer? A storyteller? A writer, I think. Wasn't this what I always wanted? Wasn't this why I wrote her story in the first place? They all have a story to tell. Her fingers are in my hair, plucking the knots from it, smoothing it. Tubby, I think. Pinch. How many more? Were they all like me? Did she call them too? Did she open their lips and push a sliver of magic down their throats? Wash it down with boiled fat? They are dead things too. They are her dead things, and they will spread her disease, her curse, until there is nobody left to infect. You made them monsters? Men made us monsters. I made us powerful. I can make you powerful too. I can make it so your stories sing. I can make it so they rot. Your voice is your weapon. Do you accept my gift? think I have a choice. It sits inside my hollow chest and sings to me. I don't think I have a choice, because what the witch wants, the witch gets, and she has wanted me for so long. I don't think I have a choice, because I have no life to return to. I am here. I belong here. I think I always have. I nod, and I hear a purr deep inside her throat, a cooing pigeon call. Then eat. I look at the table, at that table full of meat, at that table littered with breadcrumbs. There are bowls there, empty heads. I know that one is Flint's, his hair shorn to the bone. The other belonged to Tanner, I'm sure of it. There are no rules. She always wins. The witch uses her hawthorn fingers, scoops up what lies there, and she feeds it to me. She presses the meat to the inside of my head, 
And I know that I don't have a face anymore. I don't have a mouth to eat with. I don't have eyes to see. There's a hollow where my brain once sat, and yet I can still think. I can still see. I can still breathe. I can still speak. Thank you, I say. There are no rules. She always wins. You can go anywhere, child. She tamps the flesh down inside me. You are me. Tell your story. And know that every time you do, you draw blood. You spread my disease. You push the rot a little bit deeper until there is nobody left but us. You are me. And you are the world. My world. She lets go of me. Busies herself at her stove. At her saucepan of bubbling fat. Tell your story. And spread our curse a little further. And I smile with the mouth I no longer have. I reach up and feel inside the empty shell of my head and I laugh. Because she's right. I can go anywhere. There are no rules. She always wins. There are no rules. She always wins. I was six years old when I first saw the witch. I was sixteen when I became her. There are no rules. I always win. There are no rules. I always win. And I'm laughing. Laughing with the broken shell of my body. Screaming and screaming and screaming with it until suddenly my body responds and I'm screaming out loud. I'm kicking, I'm hitting. And that same force suddenly sweeps me up like a pair of arms around my middle and pulls me back out the window and back through the city and... brings me here, right here. It brings me to you. (laughs) I'm sorry. I wasn't entirely honest with you at the start of this story. Not about the fact that this book will kill you, because it will. It has. I just didn't tell you the truth about why, about who. I've been a little naughty. Can you feel me there, right behind you? I'm watching you read. I'm watching you take in these last few words. If you turn around now, you might see me. A girl with an empty head aligned with meat. A girl with no eyes who still looks. A girl with no mouth who still whispers. It's your own fault. You can't say I didn't warn you. Stories are powerful, especially hers, especially mine. Stories are weapons, and this weapon has killed you. Are you ready? Close your eyes and listen. Really listen. Listen into the quiet behind the noise of the world and hear me. You won't be able to unhear me. You won't be able to make it stop. Tonight, you will feel my crack-boned finger scratch itself down your cheek. You will wake to find my bird-nest body pressed against yours, laughter echoing around the empty auditorium of my skull. 
Tonight, I will take you with me. I will take you to meet the witch. You cannot change this, but you can delay it. Your only hope is to share this, to find another home for me. Maybe then I'll come for them first. Who? Does it matter? Your mother, your father, your sister, your brother, perhaps your child? Wouldn't any of those be better than this? Better than seeing me crawl up beneath your blankets in the middle of the night? Better than me carrying you away with me to a place where the witch lives? Try it, and maybe you'll find yourself with an extra day, an extra week. Maybe. But sooner or later, you have to come. We're all there. We're all waiting. And there are so many of us. What kind of story will she make you tell? What kind of dead thing will you be? A thing of meat or feathers? A thing that whispers or screams? A thing that pinches or punishes? A thing that rots. A thing that rots. A thing that rots. Or perhaps you will just be more meat on her table. More fat in her pan. Either way, sleep well, child. Sleep well, dead thing. I know you. I see you. I am on my way. This book will kill you. Written by Alexander Gordon Smith. Adapted for audio by Jessica McAvoy. Produced for the No Sleep Podcast by Phil Mykolski. Musical score composed by Brandon Boone. The final part starred Jessica McAvoy as Tommy Bright. Jake Benson as The Feathered Thing and Erica Sanderson as The Witch. This concludes the No Sleep Podcast production of This Book Will Kill You. This audio program is copyright 2022 by Creative Reason Media Inc. All rights reserved. No reproduction or use of this content is permitted without the expressed written consent of Creative Reason Media Inc. The copyright for This Book Will Kill You is held by Alexander Gordon Smith.